Okay, how's that? Still f terrifyingly far away. Yeah, you're still a bit far away. The no, the mic, because that will mess up our recording. Okay. You could, you know, project. That could help. Okay, great. <laughs> Good to hear from you. I'm Andre, and you just heard Jack before. And thank you so much for speaking with us. You're going to be speaking on Movies, 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 which appears on Monday mornings. And we're so grateful to have you on the phone. Yeah, Jane. it's a huge honour. Thanks for coming in. Well, not coming in, but thanks for talking with us. Thanks for having me. I guess I wanted to ask you... I guess about High Tide and being curated. No, first up, we wanted to ask how you're actually going today. How am I going today? Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful day in Sydney. Where are you? We're in Sydney too. We're in Redfern. Right. Yes. Beautiful day. It's a gorgeous day. Um, I wanted to ask because most of our audience are in their early 20s and uh, you got famous, I guess, in your early 20s as well when you started making films and you won Sydney Film Festival. And I wanted to talk about what the filmmaking landscape looked back then, looked like back then. Sure. Well, I mean, I was actually um, very lucky that around, because when I started at art school, which I went to originally in Swinburne in Melbourne, um, there wasn't actually a real film industry at all. And I, I went there to actually study perhaps costume or theatre design. So the fact that it wasn't a film industry wasn't really a worry to me because I was thinking I might work in theatre. But the only course at that time in theatre or costume design was part of this new film course at Swinburne. So and it was a diploma of art and majoring, and I ended up majoring in film and TV. I fell in love with um, uh, film and telling stories um, on film. But very fortunately for me, around in the four years that I was there, the Australian um, government set up the Australian Film Commission to develop um, and provide money for Australian films. So around the time that I graduated, there was the very beginning of um, the Australian film industry. And so that, I mean, really around the time I was started the course, the film school graduates, we basically either went to ABC, worked, or, or commercial TV doing... Um, the cop shows that weren't being made at that time in Melbourne. Um, so I was, it was just one of those lucky things in life that when, around the time I graduated, people like Fred Skeksy, Peter Weir, Beresford were starting to direct their first small and you know, first long films. Um, so um, suddenly there was this whole new future for a young filmmaker. I, I wanted to ask because Jack and I kind of recently graduated from, from afters and I'm always curious why people feel so drawn to working in film because it's such a fiddly, collaborative and requires so many people art form instead of doing something more easily. Do you think there's a... Can you describe why you were so drawn to it, do you think? Sure. Well, it took me four years to work out that all the things that I cared about and loved and was actually good at came together in film. So my early um, background was um, both um, visual art, um, I, you know, I could draw and paint, and um, my father was an amateur photographer, so I'd also learnt about taking photos and cameras, and um, so I had this sort of love of photography. And I also loved um, acting and actors, and I loved literature, 
And so, it, you know, after four years, it suddenly I realised, oh, actually telling stories visually with live people, boom, 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 that's me. <laughs> so it was like a gift that every, that it took, you know, obviously with anyone in life, it takes a while because it wasn't like, I think it's very different now. I think people go to film school because they, maybe they want to be famous, maybe they want to be rich. They've seen film directors um, on the red carpet and so on. I really didn't know that much about film, but at my film school, one of the best things that happened was that we had film history every Tuesday morning and we mm. saw the best of world cinema. And it was just like mind-blowing, you know, to suddenly see Fellini, Antonioni, um, um, Scorsese. It was just... Um, and so I suddenly saw that film could also be an art. And I suppose that's the other reason that I was attracted. We were incredibly lucky to be in the first year of the BA and they did that for one year and then they scrapped it to make it more commercial. And I feel very similarly to you about that being the best part of afters. No, it is because it's, that's what's, you know, opened my mind. So, um, I mean, seeing, I mean, I think for any filmmaker, um, I think you've got to see the best because, you know, it raises the bar and also, and it's inspirational and, and also it gives you a chance to realise that there's many, many ways of telling a story visually and that what we're, you know, generally fed like commercial cinema and a lot of stuff we see on TV is is very um, formulaic and, you know, there's a sameness about it. And what's exciting when you see the world's best is there's, you know, it really is inspirational. So that's terribly they're not running um, best of world cinema at the film school. Gillian, I wanted to ask you a question that you don't have to answer if you don't really know how to, but... I would think that maybe your being your films are being shown in that context now as kind of the best films, at least the best Australian films. Do you ever think about that in the present day, that your work is now being shown in that way? Um, well, I mean, I'm completely honoured that a number of my films have just recently been restored by the National Film and Sound Archive and you know, having like a second life. Um, I think that as a filmmaker, you know, you generally walk away from your films I mean, generally, I'm dragged away because <laughs> I've gone. There's no money left. You've got to stop um, because you know the perfectionists like me—they're never good enough. Um, but you know, then you're pleased if if they do well. But you know, that's hit and miss because it's a you know box office. It's just sometimes a fluke of timing and so on. Um, but over the years, to run into people who say, you know, I love this film of yours, or I've you know seen it many times, or and this. Um, you know, this wonderful thing that the National Film and Sound Archive have now restored um, Brilliant Career Starstruck and it uh, would be very nice if they um, also <laughs> restored High Tide in the last days of Shane Mu and Oscar Nacinda, but at least Oscar Nacinda is going to be screened this year as part of David Stratton's retrospective at the Sydney Film Festival and it'll be on the big screen and mm. I, it'll be its original 35mm print because you know, they, they have all been made for the big screen and they're they're much more powerful on the big screen. So that you know, it's, and by the way, as part of um, a, a group of ten women 
well, films made by women trail Australian women trailblazers. And so it's, I'm honoured to be part of that. It's such a good lineup. Like I'm, it's the most the thing I'm most excited about about the film festival. Um, and I grew up with Starstruck as well because my drama teacher back in Adelaide was Joey Kennedy. So ah. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is kind of a weird blast from the past, which I yeah um, realized. But I was really inspired because. We saw Saturday Night really early and after trawling through the DVDs uh, in the library. And it's just a hugely influential film. And I think it's totally underrated, this like really small queer film that feels really raw and it feels like you made it with friends. Can you talk about that at all? Sure. Yes. No, no. I am very proud of um, Saturday Night. It, it was based around a true story about my best friend, Stuart Campbell, who's a Sydney actor um, and photographer, and it was actually shot in our share house in Coogee. Um, well, I was going to Alfred's and he was he was going to NIDA, and it was based around um, a true story. And it was he there was a huge build-up to when there was a gay dance on. That was so they only were only happening like in Sydney at that time, once every two months, and it was in Glebe Town Hall, and I. Um, there was this one weekend where he told us this, you know, he was very excited and he was getting ready for it all day long and then we had dinner with me and some friends and off he went and um, he turned up the next morning and the whole thing had been disaster. I won't tell the end in case someone wants to watch it. Um, and I just thought it was such a great idea for um, a short film. It was, when I was at um, Afters, we had to do one documentary and so we sort of pushed it into the, the film school agreed that even though it was a reenactment of a real, real event with a real guy, um, someone played me in it, um, but we actually, we shot in the um, gay dance in um, Glebe Town Hall and we were the first crew to ever be allowed in. So, and it was, you know, obviously because it was dark and it was just happening, we just followed him um, and then obviously... We, you know, we had a little set-up thing of, of the morning after. But um, it was, at that time, really unique. It went into um, gay film festivals all around the world. So I'm very proud of it and very proud of my best best buddy, my gay best friend, Stuart Campbell, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Oh, my God, that's really sad to hear. That film was just so beautiful. And to see a queer narrative from, you know, the 70s, shown on screen in a way where the tragedy wasn't that someone died or someone got beaten up, but just that they didn't get laid. <laughs> well, that he passed out from drinking, yes. <laughs> yeah, he passed out. And also how nice it is that it's from the point of view of the female best friend, which I feel like is so rarely shown in films. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. No, he was my closest oldest friend. We were at Swinburne together originally. He originally was doing film on TV and then he got into NIDA. Um, and... I cannot let you go without asking you my mum's favourite film. I grew up with it. I love it. And it's such a treasured film, Little Women. I love it too. I love it too. It's treasured by so many people and it's being remade this year by Lady Bird filmmaker Greta Gerwig. I have to ask what your thoughts are. Oh, Little Women? Yes. Um, Yes, it's sort of, I suppose, when I think back, I thought, well, when I made Little Women, George Kukor was probably still alive and I was just, confident and I think I probably did all these interviews saying I didn't look at his and really I think it's time a woman did this story and everything and I thought well um, I suppose you know um, this is a book that's out there and and it probably needs to be redone for every generation 
But I, in some ways, in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, they won't redo it until I'm dead. So it, 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 in some ways, it's um, a little hurtful to think that it's, especially it's been done by my my same producer and my writer. Um, <sighs> but I'm a huge fan of Greta's, and I'm and even and I'm a dedicated fan of Saoirse Ronan, who I, I actually worked with um, when she was mm, ten or eleven. Um, so uh, and I'll, I'll be. I can't wait to see what they've done. So yeah, I, I don't own Little Women, even though I feel I do. <laughs> I've got to be brave about it. I also hope it opens up a new generation of people to look back at your film. Maybe it will. Yeah, maybe you know once people start discussing it online, as they were when it was announced, um, it's very nice to see all the fans say, "Oh, you know, we love the Winona version or whatever." It'll probably make an, another lot of another generation think, oh, I'll have a look at that one. And then they, maybe they should have a look at George Kukorsi that does, after all, have a wonderful cast. It was um, just, anyway, it, it, yeah, times change. I and mean, then we had, I just think, I'm very proud of Little Women. I do think that we had the most incredible cast. I mean, I think, um, you know, with Christian Bale and Kirsten Dunst and young Claire Danes, you know, we had um, such a talented group of young people who, of course, went on to be, all of them, to be extraordinary actors. So um, I, I'm proud, very proud of the film. And another film that, you know, at least the lead actress went on to do amazing things and the screenwriter went on to do amazing things, High Tide, which is showing at the Sydney Film Festival. Can you talk us, take us through a little bit of that film? Sure. That was um, um, an original script by Laura Jones, who um, I worked with later on Oscar Lucinda as well, and did Portrait of a Lady um, for Jane Campion in the adaptation and Angela with Ashes. Um, she's um, an incredible Australian writer. So it was a joy. We, we literally, we've been adapting a big project which had fallen over. We spent two years on a um, uh, period. Oh, well, Gillian, do you mind speaking into the phone if that's okay? Sorry, we're just not capturing. Oh, sorry, yes. Am I, is that better? Yeah, that's a lot better. Thank you. Yes, I'm not. Sorry. My phone is quite tricky tell me if I'd go off. Um, so, yes, so Laura Jones and I sat down um, because our, this big adaptation had fallen over and said, let's just write something really small, like a, let's just something, a tiny film or something. And, you know, it's one of those things, I think, um, lots of filmmakers, you get, after, like, two weeks, of every idea we came up with, no, it's not good enough, not, not good enough. And I said, you know what, Laura, I think we should just start should just start on something because we can keep adding and changing. And I had, I'd kept an article um, that I, I'd seen in the paper. They just changed the adoption laws in Australia, which meant you could now track um, an adoptive parent. And I saw this story about someone who literally, um, at age 60, had found their eight-year-old mother and how they, she said this is so important to her, this thing about, you know, the sense of family and bloodlines and with that and the fact that I'd always wanted to do something in a surfing culture because um, as a teenager I was a sort of surfer chick in the sort of puberty blues time. So we put those two things together into this story which became High Tide Um, and the big um, twist about High Tide is that um, because I had um, a woman producer, Sandra Levy, woman writer Laura Jones and myself, there was always this sort of talk about women doing films about women, and I said, well, we don't have to do that. We can do it from about anything. So we made, made the main character a guy 
who comes across his lost daughter. And we literally, we'd raised the money, we'd started casting, and then that night I happened to go out and see an indie film starring Joe Kennedy called Wrong World, and it was about this sort of alienated, drifting guy who comes across this young, spirited woman who makes him rethink his life. And I just thought, this is the same story. And then I thought, I've seen this story so many times. You know, it's Paper Moon, it's like a million films. And I got really depressed and my um, partner said to me, well, why don't you change it? Why don't you just make this character, John, a girl? And then I, so I went, you know what, you're right. Then I rang the producer and the writer and said, what have we changed, John, to a woman? And they were both like, yeah, we're, we're happy to. So we literally went back to the casting agent the next day, had drawn up the list of all the possible 30-something Australian male stars and said, we want it, it's going to be a woman. And then she said, well, there's like three incredible women in that age group and one of them is Judy Davis. And if you want her, you basically will have to decide by tomorrow because we know she's got another offer. Um, so we sent the script to Judy and said, there's a character called John and that'll be you. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and he was a surfer originally. And then we had to come up with a way of... Um, how, why is this woman going around these coastal towns? And we came up with the idea that she was a backup singer in a sort of tacky band that was doing the clubs. And that became um, the role that Judy Davis played, Lily. And I think it's one of her best performances. She actually got the New York Critics Award that year for her, her role. And it was, in the end, it was so much braver to have a bad mother so no one had done bad mm-hmm. mothers around that time. So, and of course, Claudia Carvin, who's now um, a well-known actress and producer, um, played the daughter um, and was equally brilliant. Julian, if I can espouse any um, advice from that, it's basically just follow your gut. Pardon? If I can draw any advice from that story, it's follow your gut because sometimes your gut has the answer. Absolutely. That's my mantra in life. You've got to trust your gut. But you've also got to have that partner at home that goes, do it. I love it. I love like making the process of just going, okay, we just have to make a film, just keep writing, and we'll just make every challenge into a part of the plot. Yeah. No, no. I I, I would say that to any filmmaker. Um, I mean, I actually, when I was after I left the film school, I worked as art director and, you know, wardrobe and props and stuff on other people's indie features. And I was on a feature, um, it was the first feature for a well-known Australian filmmaker, and he was so depressed and moody on the whole shoot. I said to him a year or so later, I said, you know, there were, I knew you seemed really unhappy what was wrong. He said, after the second day, I knew the leading man was wrong. And he said... And I just said, well, you should have just stopped. You should just recast. There had to have been someone. And he said, oh, well, you know, I knew he was wrong, but he was, you know, good friends with the producer and da-da-da. And, and of course, the film turkeyed. And, and, and every critic um, talked about how bad that actor was. And it was, so it was a great life lesson for me seeing that. I went, yep. Now, if you really can, you know, hopefully you don't make the mistake of casting the wrong person, but if you do, you know, if you can do anything to change it, trust your gut and, 
you know, try and get your producer to support too. That's really cool. We've got to go, but thank you so much for talking with us. Honestly, cheers. Really appreciate it. <laughs> um, pleasure. No, no, it's always um, fun talking to fellow filmmakers. So, we'll, all um, best. You too. <laughs> I can't wait to see High Tide on the big screen. Yes, yeah, no, it should look amazing. It's at the New South Wales um, Art Gallery. It's got a screening room that still runs um, 35 millimetres, so... I'm um, really looking forward to that. And all the other fantastic films um, from Ben Happy and Nadia Taft and, um, yes, and Shirley Barrett. It's, there's a really, really good group. It's um, interesting how, when you think, look at those films, how many wonderful films and how many wonderful women directors we've got from this country. So go along. And they're all wildly underrated. Gillian Armstrong, thank you so much for speaking with us. Pleasure. Enjoy the rest of this lovely day. Have a good afternoon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Thanks. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.